All right. So Lisa, not long ago, we dropped a podcast that talked about the history of New Year's resolutions and not saying we necessarily agree with New Year's resolutions, but we dug up the data, dug up the information, and we found that most people don't hold on to those resolutions beyond the first or second week of February. And here we are in the first week of February. So, you know, I think we need to kind of revisit the topic. Yeah, and I'm also wondering um, the kinds of whether there's a pattern around the kinds of resolutions that people don't keep, right? And if there were opportunities mm -hmm. for maybe with athletes who were looking to do X, Y, and Z in the new year, if there's more holistic coaching or something, right? Would that increase mm -hmm. the likelihood that someone would maintain mm -hmm. that goal that they've created for the new year? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah, it, it, it kind of reminds me of our uh, our other lives in higher ed mm. where you have this wraparound service yeah, where, yeah. you know, people need more than just, all right, you've told me in my training piece what I need to do, but I need right. much more than that. So yeah. where are we going from here? So we have a fantastic guest that's going to try to help keep us on the wagon because some of us fell off two years ago. We're just trying to find the wagon. We don't know where the wagon is. I think our great guest will help us to find the wagon. So let's dive in. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So Lisa, I realized that we now have a common friend where I know one half of her life and you know the other half of her life, Indeed. right? Yeah. <laughs> so we have Malika Klinkscales with us today as a guest on the podcast. And I, I feel strange, Malika, even saying guest because you're not like a guest anywhere else in my world, right? So that's why I'm like, what is this? Um, but really excited to have Malika on the podcast with us because Lisa, I, I know you probably remember because you are such the data person, but uh, during our resolutions podcast, we talked about how 40% of people in the U.S., set a new year's resolution about 22 percent of those are specifically around their own self-improvement but 80 percent of them break that resolution by the first week of february and this is what really got me the last point around only eight percent of folks that set a resolution are successful at all at any time in that year yeah. and so i'm thinking to myself okay for those of us who are in endurance sports it sounds like we need much more help than somebody, you know, wrap a tap in on their phone to put some plans into the training piece. Like we, we need more. I'm trying yeah. to figure out what that more is, but we need more. Yeah. I think that like we talked about in the intro, some kind of holistic wraparound service. I mean, I can't even like maintain a goal from the night before to the next morning, you know, it's like, I am definitely going to get up and go swimming. And then I get up and I'm like, eh, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Well, this is where Malika Klinkscale steps into the mix for us because uh, Malika and I, we met at uh, the now defunct Nations Try here in DC, right? It's not even existing anymore. How many times has that swim been canceled, right? Um, 
But yeah, so we met there and Malika is now the founder and CEO of Dream Chaser Solutions. And, you know, I'm so proud that the the word solution is in the actual name because that's what we're looking for here. Um, We are how many years, I hate to say that, how many years into a pandemic? And I think as endurance sport athletes, we are trying to find ourselves again, especially in this backdrop of whatever normal is. And so uh, Malika has all this incredible uh, background, especially when it comes to facilitation, training, strategic planning. But what we're really going to focus on today is that executive coaching piece, not just what you put in the training piece, but how are you really um, kind of organizing or reorganizing your life, Lisa, Mm -hmm. when it comes Mm -hmm. to, you know, how do I organize my life in a way that, okay, there are other habits I have that are regular, but what happens when I try to create new habits or revive old habits around these goals? I think Malika can help us out in this area, Lisa, because some of us need some help. I'm raising both hands. Yes. I'm raising both hands and my feet too. I think this would be, this feels a little bit like you're going to come over to my house and tell me that I don't need that 700 race t-shirts and to make room for this particular set of clothes they have to go that's what it feels like (laughs) yes 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 exactly so Malika we are so happy to have you on the podcast I've been talking about it forever and glad that we could have you on with us how you doing doing great thank you so much and just I'm honored and uh, happy to be here and looking forward to this conversation and discussion Um, obviously on one of my favorite topics um, a big part of my life is devoted to this topic, but thank you. Thank you for being having me here. Absolutely. Well, now I know that you have a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of papers on the wall. Let's put it that way. You got that bachelor's of science from Howard, the master's of arts in women's health and sociology from uh, Suffolk university, master's of science and management. Look, all these degrees. Oh, I can't forget Michigan state. All of those. Look, you got all these degrees. You are the key to getting me and Lisa, help us get our life together, please. How does this type of coaching fit with the endurance sport lifestyle? Because you are a triathlete yourself. You know what it means to set a goal. And even when you don't necessarily meet that goal and you have to kind of recalibrate it, get back on the horse, that type of thing. Can you just share with us a little bit about your experience as a triathlete and how you set those goals? What would you even be saying to yourself in regards to a coaching process here, because I think we need more. We need more. Absolutely. Um, I'm happy to do that. I I fell in love with triathlon, um, the idea of triathlon in 2014, um, coming off of years of running and um, many, many, many half marathons and decided that I was ready for, um, you know, a very, let me put it this way, very very, uh, flippantly, you know, knew that, well, I'm already running and I've swam since I was a child. And Certainly, I've, I've read, I know how to ride a bike. So, you know, how, how difficult could it be? And so, ha, 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 right? But <laughs> that's what got me into the space of wanting to do triathlon. So set out on that journey. Um, quite frankly, even my own story tells me that there, there is a need for something more because it's in 2015, my journey began with printing a, a plan, you know, offline. Um, I did all the things. I, you know, got it printed. I got me a binder. Shana knows that I have this affinity for binders. And um, put, you know, triathlon, you know, 2015, you know, let's do this. And um, that binder sat right on my desk for an entire year. So I then learned that I needed, you know, I needed connection. I needed a coach and was able to hire a coach to help me um, begin getting really into the sport to organize things. However, it's once I became a triathlete that I realized that 
that really only covers one part of the picture. And the fact is you can have a plan to execute for the training, but navigating, um, I'm, not, I'm not anyone's biological mom. I have lots of uh, play kids in my life and stepmom and auntie and godmother, but I always make the analogy that triathlon is like um, juggling three children, right? And I say that not being a mom and not knowing what that's like, but it's kind of like that old show, now I'm dating myself, my three sons, right? Of how do you spend enough time with each one um, to be proficient enough to put the whole group together. Um, and it, we're just still talking about, you know, and finish. Obviously people have certain types of goals in terms of, you know, PRs and what they want for their athletic, you know, but just to finish the race, it, remi- it, it, it demands that you master three sports. So with that, it's how does your life then um, acquiesce or accommodate all of the demands of training? And what just because you set a goal, it doesn't mean that the path is clear for you to go out and do the running, the biking, and the swimming. No matter how important you know a triathlon is, no matter. And many triathletes they identify it for some reason. It's usually some other thing that's going on with them. It's not usually not just that they're just you know sport minded, right? That they're usually some type of type A, they're after something. And so they're gonna challenge or channel all their energy into this Ironman goal, right? Um, that then gives them some type of affirmation about themselves for whatever reason. And all that's well and good and healthy in some cases. Um, but the reality is in order to execute, then life needs to kind of participate. And what we find out is that life doesn't care. Life, life does what life does and it's really, up to the athlete, the individual to figure out how to manage those other components in a way that allows you to be productive. And that's quite frankly, um, easier said than done. And so I find it's taking the time to delve into those other areas and getting, um, I won't even say a handle completely, but a leash, a somewhat, some awareness of what's getting in the way and then dealing with it. I think often the run, the swim, the bike is to, suppress the other thing. And yet if this other thing could be dealt with, it would just free up the space for the run, the bike and the swim and other things in life. But I'm I'm using that analogy, obviously because of our love of endurance sport. So I'll pause there because I don't want to just keep rambling, but that makes sense, resonate. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, although I do want to kind of backtrack a little bit and be like, on your first triathlon, you created a binder for your training. I'm like, who are you? This is amazing. I yeah. bet you it had tabs. It had post-it notes in it. I know Malika. I, I'm sure it did. It, oh it, my gosh. <laughs> Who am I? And that, that gives you any insight into how I like to organize and approach things. I remember um, at a, one season in my life, I was kind of at a crossroads. And at the time I went to go meet with the minister, a minister, minister, my pastor at the time. And I came in with this folder and inside this folder, I had created a flow chart. And the flow chart had like, if I make this decision and there was an arrow, then this is the outcome. And if I make this decision, then this is the outcome. And they were color coded. And so there were about three paths. And I'm you know, thinking that this is normal. This is how my brain works. I come in and I said, I'd like to talk to you about this. And I handed him this color coded flow chart. And I said, I'm just not sure which arrow. And he was like, kind of like you did Lisa, like, can we just pause for a minute? <laughs> Nobody, none of my parishioners, none of my members come to me and talk to me like this. So yes, that is my, my love for organization and, and mapping things out. That's, that, that's kind of the way um, life makes sense to me. <laughs> uh, that's just so fantastic. I mean, I used to think that I was organized. I feel like as I age, that just gets less and less. Um, 
my reality is not that anymore, but um, I do have, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I do cover your binder and your color-coded flowcharts. <laughs> I'm very excited about that. So um, I guess I, my question is like, how many athletes do you think, or do you think athletes really even understand that maybe they need this kind of wraparound service in addition to their like very structured training plan? I don't think so. I think um, part of it, quite frankly, is the adrenaline and the rush of trying to figure out how to get it done. Um, that, that, that adrenaline rush of like, I've got this huge feat that I'm trying to take under, you know, take over and I'm going to figure it all out. Like the, the, the execution of training plans is actually probably connected to the larger goal. And therefore, I also think, you know, endurance athletes, I mean, come on, for, to, to be able to master three sports, to act, to challenge, to be challenged and, and have this goal, you have to have your act together in a certain way. And, and that means you're type A, you're used to being in charge, you're used to having goals, you're used to achieving goals. And that, that same culture says, I don't need help. And so why would I think that I need to um, endorse or pay attention to some type of um, wraparound service that might be supplemental to helping me reach my goals. But at the end of the day, it says I need help. And we have an issue with thinking we need help. And so, um, and yet, you know, I often tell people um, when I'm speaking that, you know, LeBron James, Serena Williams, they all have coaches, right? And these are world-class top of, you know, hall of fame type <laughs> people that will be in, in the books for years and years to come. So why do they have a coach? Um, they have a coach to elevate themselves, to elevate their performance, to take whoever they are to the next level. And so I think it's important to see this type of life coaching, executive coaching as the same thing, that it doesn't mean that you're dysfunctional. It doesn't mean that you don't have your act together. It means that you understand the ability to optimize your time and who you are, and therefore have someone else kind of see some things that you may not. I would also add that it's not really about me providing or someone telling you what to do. I'm, I'm very, actually very little interest in that. It's more about seeing the opportunities, seeing um, the gaps. Um, my favorite thing is seeing the, the it's the caveat, it's that, it's that little chasm between where someone is and where they wanna be and kind of being able to help facilitate those next steps. But all said and done, fully engaged by the person. Um, prescriptive plans, you should do this, to-do list, no interest in that. I, I don't think that's effective coaching. I think it, it comes from people understanding this is where I am. This is where I want to be. Now let's talk about what's in the middle. Let's talk about why you think, why the resolution hasn't happened. Let's talk about mm -hmm. the, the issues that are getting the, in the way that are pretty evasive. And if they have space to be dealt with, they can be dealt with. And often we're too busy for that. We're, we're busy racing to the to-dos and the demands of life but think 45, 50 minutes aside to actually reflect, pause, process, and strategize is, is something we don't have time to do. And so we don't. Mm, yeah, you know, Malika, you reminded me because I know your, your logo for your business is kind of that chasm, if you will, that person kind of leaping from one place to the next. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminds me of something I saw a couple of weeks ago, in fact, where it was actually referring to Dr. King, when you don't see the whole staircase, you know, take the next step. And so, and given that that's kind of what I'm 
feeling as far as this coaching vibe is that, okay, you know where you are, hopefully, you know you where you want to be as far as your goal and how to lay down each step that you need one at a time in order to get to that place. I, I think that's doable and possible. Um, and let me give the both and. And I also think that looks differently now that we are, uh, what, how many years into a pandemic? So the the way I would have uh, absorbed uh, wraparound coaching, such as what you provide, would be completely different pre-pandemic than it is right now. Now, I enjoy my piece. Now, no, I don't feel like impressing anybody being on my workout at 5 a.m. If I feel like doing it at 5 p.m. and I'm just grateful to the good Lord I got it done, then that's where I am in my life right now. And so I'm just wondering, you know, what do you think about how um, executive coaching is defined now that we have this pandemic in our lived experience as endurance sport uh, athletes? What, What does that look like? No way to not address the, you know, the way that the pandemic has changed many fact, many many phases of life. Um, I think it gives you permission though, as opposed to digging your heels in and insisting that it be, you know, we keep trying to say like before pandemic, right? We keep, we, we keep wishing for the days when life goes back to normal. I think we finally accepted or in many areas that there, there's a new normal. But at the same time, I think that's the way that coaching has to acquiesce and change. So it has to adapt to where you are. I think you can still be a triathlete. I still think you can have the same um, goals, but I think now you can accept that none of my swims have to be, you know, China at 4 a.m. like they were. They can be at, you know, 6 p.m. or they can be at whatever makes sense. I think the key to it is that you have to be, in order for coaching to work, you have to be honest with yourself about where you truly are and what you truly desire. And are you willing to take the steps to, to get to that, to that place? Um, some of those things require adjustments of yourself. Some of those things require adjustments of people in your life. Um, but it, it gives you the space to have an honest, honest reflection. So people deciding to change careers or that, you know, there's a whole, you know, the whole notion of the great resignation of people saying the pandemic is giving me the time to say like, eh, you know, I don't really want to do life like this anymore. And this particular job or this, this particular um, way of earning money is no longer valuable. And so it's, it's leaning into who do I really want to be in this season of my life? And I actually think that makes it prime for executive coaching, right? It allows you, the, the pandemic might be the impetus, it might be the irritant, right? The, the, the god-awful unending <laughs> irritant, but it gets you to a new, a new reality or at least able to see something different. And so, you know, I'm a firm believer of like, why can't I have both? Why can't I have um, all aspects of life, and, and in some ways you can, in some ways you can't, but you have to have um, a process that allows you to intentionally reflect about it and come up with a plan. So my slogan for my business is all you need is a plan. And I fundamentally believe that that's really all you need to do anything. People struggle with the plan. And it took, um, I would say years of people talking to me and wanting to run something by me or getting my thoughts. You know, Sean and I've had talks about, can I pick your brain on something? And it took me a minute to realize that that's actually a business that you're operating without structure, um, that you have a lot of ideas and plans that you're giving people that if you organize it in a way, you know, and I get a lot of, you know, excitement and joy out of it. And so that really became, it, it took me a while to understand that it's a skill set everybody doesn't have. And I'm like, oh, like the, the whole, the binder making and the color coding and the, 
that that's not everybody's default, right? It's, it's, it's baseline for me and not for others. And so for me, helping people have that, that go-to roadmap, leave all the details and the processing, leave that to somebody else. And, you know, uh, for what it's worth, that that's my sweet spot. And that's what I enjoy. Mm. So do you work um, with your business? Do you work in partnership with athletic coaches? Like, is your goal that it would be that you would communicate with the athletic coach? That is a goal of mine. I, I've, I've been looking at that for 2022. Um, I think many uh, triathletes would benefit with the op- opportunity to work with a life coach and executive coach in tandem as a part of um, an athlete's, you know, an athletic coach. So I've even talked to my own athletic coach about that um, because I think what we see is there is the plan, there is the goal, and then life gets in the way. And I don't think a lot of athletic coaches are interested or have the capacity to delve into the issues that show up as red in training peaks, right? Um, and sometimes that's, I had to work till I, you know, I had to work late. And so those ones are, are not, um, you know, those, are, those aren't problematic, but there are other issues that are recurring that they just need, I don't know how else to describe it other than in my way of saying it, they need time and space to be dealt with that could then reduce the red and free the person up to really do the execution. So I think athletes really, um, coaches, athletic coaches that would partner with life coaches, I think that's a tremendous way to see a greater return on investment for triathletes because now they're able to have a plan physically, but now you have something that allows you to process where you are mentally, emotionally, um, and, and I'm not even talking about like therapy. So I'm going to be clear about that. Like that's a whole nother, um, industry and business. And it's also necessary, right? There's also certain mental. So I'm not talking about me being able or coaches being able to handle certain mental health concerns or mental health issues, because that is a separate space and it needs its own time. And, but you could have an athletic coach, a life coach and a therapist, right? Um, but the life coach, if, if they're worth their salt, they're interested in helping the person deal with those other issues while they're training. And I think um, if you connect them, then you can say, hey, I'm making advancement. I'm progressing on my athletic goal and I'm also progressing in these life goals. And then a person can feel more complete, more satisfied mm-hmm. that they're reaching the goal. Mm-hmm. Instead of being really frustrated and pissed off that they didn't get that run at man, or really frustrated and pissed off that they've missed their swim three times this week because it's this other thing, right? And so right. if you get to that space and the coaches are gonna see it, they're just gonna see the red mark. They're not gonna see all of the factors, even if you know why you're not getting to the pool besides who wants to get in the pool in the winter. Besides that, there's some other, other issues that are popping up. They can be dealt with, but you have to um, give them the platform, I, I, I say, to, to, to acknowledge it and then to execute, come up with the strategy, get some next steps, an accountability partner and move on. I think that is the greatest. Mm-hmm. I used to tell my mom that, you know, when I was deciding upon my career, I was really interested in psychology. And for what it's worth, <laughs> the part that's, that frightened me was talking with people about certain issues over and over and over and over and over and over and over. I was like, what if they don't ever, like, I would at some point be like, when are you just going to, uh, and that's not your job as a, you know, as a therapist, you're, not, you're supposed to. So I think coaching allows me to provide the structure or those actionable next steps that um, that are hopefully attainable and not connected to some larger, right, larger therapeutic um, or larger mental health um, challenges. So my, my point is, um, 
I'm an active believer, a found believer in action steps and in handling things. So you can go on and, and, and enjoy yourself. And so I have different ways that I, in, in which I do that. But coaching, I don't believe coaching is just having nice, healthy conversations. I think they are, they are to unroot certain things, to execute, make some decisions, and then come up with a plan to move on. And if we're not in that perpetual jump, right? Like you're supposed to land. <laughs> and so I want to help folks land and then run on. No, see, see, I'm, I'm caught in the jump. I'm midair. Like I've been midair for like two years now. <laughs> you know, but, I need a landing from you. Okay. <laughs> right, right. But I need a landing. I need a landing. No, but you're, you're bringing up a great point though, because, you know, as you were kind of sharing about, um, you know, coming hopefully to through and beyond a pandemic, that is really the frustrating challenge that I think a lot of people are dealing with. Either they're in denial that, oh, we can just get back to the old normal, or folks are really struggling with, okay, who am I as an athlete in this new normal? And what does that look like? And for me, it's kind of like we were sharing uh, right before we uh, started recording how Many years ago, I was training uh, for my 70.3 and I was in really great shape and I had to go out to Denver, uh, where uh, near Lisa, to go to a conference, a professional conference. And I was out there thinking, oh, I'll just do my quick six, six mile run and I'll be done. Well, obviously doing the same thing, the same plan in a different context, a different environment, a different atmosphere doesn't always work. That was the slowest, most painful six miles ever that I ran, even though I was in great shape for, for an East Coast person now, for a Colorado person, that's different. But my, my point around that is I think what's happening right now as we come to through and hopefully beyond the pandemic is exactly what I tried to do in Denver, where people had their pre-pandemic plan that worked for them. And now they're in a new context. And that plan that used to work doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work. I mean, they gasping for air like I was ready to call 911. Who's going to help me? And so, you know, I guess my question for you, Malika, is that given that for a lot of people, the old plan doesn't work in a new environment. What's your unique approach to coaching? How would coaching with you be quite different from people that are used to athletic coaching? You know, some people are like, I've had an athletic coach since I started in endurance sports. So how would this be different? Because it is quite different. Um, what would be different so that we can help people to uh, deal with this new context? Yes, absolutely. So let me be clear. I have an athletic coach and I am not the one to help you with your athletic, you know, goals that, that, that's not my, my sweet spot, my sweet spot in terms of executing, like what your pace is and, you know, how many days a week you should be running, biking and swimming. But what I would do is I would, I, I would try to get an understanding from you, from the individual, you know, what, what is the thing outside of triathlon that you feel is getting in the way of you being successful in triathlon? That might be family related, it might be career related, it might be um, you know, a project, it might be, I keep, it might be feeling guilty about, I mean, it could be a lot, number of things, time management, family responsibility, career responsibilities, um, you name it, there, there's a list. So it'd be more of a life assessment or a person understanding exactly what it is and not knowing what to do about it, right? Um, from there, my goal is to make sure that every coaching session ends with a actual physical plan. Um, so you have an idea, there's assessment that I do, there are things that I use that are my secret sauce, but the product that you walk away with is a plan. So it's not just a great endorphin feeling of like, yes, I, 
I articulated some things and I feel better and now I'm gonna do something different. It is a very um, detailed plan that we will have uh, constructed together in our coaching up conversation. And then there's also a recap of that conversation. So there's some things that, um, you know, everyone's loaded down with emails and PDFs. So I also understand that that may not be um, the best modality for people, but they will also receive kind of a um, summarized recap of the plan that we talked about. And then of course the opportunity based on whatever coaching pet plan they, they purchased, the opportunity for us to either reconnect on it or for me to reach out and say, how's it going, what happened to hold them accountable. And so I think a lot of times people are kind of just left to figure it out, right? Even if they have an idea, if the outcome of a coaching meeting is I'm going to go back to school. Like I've decided that's what I'm going to do with my life. I, I'm decided I'm leaving that job. I've decided that, you know, I'm, I deserve more or, you know, whatever that issue. But let's stay with that analogy, for instance. That's just a decision. Now, the, the whole host of steps that need to happen behind that decision, that's a whole nother story. And so what I find unique is the ability for people to have their own tangible, concrete, executed, documented, agreed upon plan as a product of the coaching session. So you don't walk away with a inspiration, <laughs> but you walk away with inspiration and then tactical next steps. Um, that to me is, is, is a differentiator. And, yeah. and from my, my mode of working, an absolute requirement. Like I, mm -hmm. I would, anything short of that to me is just us hanging out. Oh. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not charging people to hang out. I have friends. My goal is to make sure that you have a plan and that you have what you need to, mm -hmm. to move. And the length of time, whether that's one session or seven sessions, like the length of time that we decide that we need to do that to get to the next place, that's on the individual. Mm. You know, that piece you just said around inspiration without a plan, I think that is basically the root of um, New Year's resolutions, right? Mm -hmm. It's that I'm inspired to do this because there's a whole cultural narrative that happens around when that year changes over, at least in, in uh, what would that be, U.S. Christian-centric calendar, right. um, that uh, things have to change, right? And it's really no it's really arbitrary when you think about it, right? Like that December 31st to January 1st versus like, you know, May 14th to May 15th. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, there's a lot of weight. And I think that's exactly it. When I think back about the number of resolutions I've made in my life, whether they're athletic or not, and I just make it, right? But I don't actually have any plan. It's just like, I'm going to literally brute force willpower this, right? right, right. And it doesn't work. <laughs> Absolutely. And if, and if you could, if it was just a willpower issue, you would have done it before, right? Right. You would, right. Have, you would have decided to do it in May instead of December to January. But yeah. People want to capitalize on the time of change, the, the, the notion of the, the, you know, of, of the old turning and going away, right? To be inspired by the newness of January, the newness of a new month, a new day, a new year, right? But using the same old strategies and things that kept them from being productive. And so I think um, life coaching, executive coaching kind of marries the space of make the decision, be, have the resolve for the decision to change and equip yourself with the resources and strategies to right. actually get there. And right. that's the, to me, that's, that's the sweet spot. So how can folks find you <laughs> if they <laughs> listen to this and they're like, oh my, this is what I need. I need, yes. Yes. Um, 
The best way to find me is on, through my website, which is dreamchasersolutions.com. Um, you can um, email me at Malika, M-A-L-I-K-A, at dreamchasersolutions.com, um, or through my website. There's also a contact me um, form for people to fill out, and I can get in touch. Um, I'm looking to um, even have a scheduling component to my website that will allow people to meet with me, but right. for the three ways, website and email, and we can get moving. Fabulous. And we'll include all that in the show notes too, but, um, I've really enjoyed this conversation and we're running out of time and I do want to squeeze in our, uh, hell yeah, hell nah, um, uh, discussion today. Cause it involves where, uh, Malika is. So I will uh, hand this over to Shauna <laughs> to introduce it. Oh. Hell yeah. Hell no. Nah. Yes, absolutely. So Malika, how close is Kingsport, Tennessee to you? Yes, Kingsport's about four hours away. So I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and Kingsport is mm. in East Tennessee, just before you get to Virginia. And I actually have um, very dear friends that are from Kingsport, Tennessee, that I've known. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I read about this story back in December, and I've been wanting to have a conversation about it. And then it just happened to be all of this worked out. So serendipity here when it comes to this. But there is a gentleman uh, who's a teacher. His name is Matthew Hahn. Um, and unfortunately, I feel like, Lisa, this needs to be both a hell yeah and a hell not nah at the same time, right? Because yep. he was doing yep. something really noble um, from our perspective, yet was fired for it. So... Last year, he was fired for teaching about white privilege at a high school. And so for two months, he was doing all the things, you know, how you have a, a appeal process, three-day hearing, all of that, um, and, you know, engaging in this debate over how not only if race and racism and all that in history should be discussed, but also how it should be discussed. And there, to this date, based on the Washington Post, there hasn't been anything that's come of it. No announcements about his appeal, no messages from the attorney, no text, no nothing. And so I'm just like, wow, this is still happening in our country, y'all, where there is a very direct and violent effort to continue teaching incomplete history. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, there, there was a meme that I saw specifically where, you know, yeah, integration of schools was not that long ago. Um, my mother was part of that first class um, in Prince Edwards County, um, where she was the, one of the first classes to integrate. And so for her senior year in high school, which should be one of the most fun and most pivotal um, in your K through 12 experience, she was... Um, unfortunately, uh, from her perspective, integrated into white schools and so treated like second, third class citizens. Yes, you can come to our school, but no, you can't participate in after school activities. Uh, yes, we're being forced to do this, but we don't have to like it, that type of thing. And it kind of reminds me of that meme where it talks about, you know, you really want to tell people about how it was a travesty that uh, Ruby Bridges had to be escorted to school at the age of six, but you don't want to tell your grandchildren that you were part of the problem that kept her from being able to go to those schools, right? And so for me, it's just, once again, another frustrating piece. Um, so me personally, I'm thinking, hell yeah, to Matthew Hahn for doing the right thing and being an ally to so many communities. But 
shame on you for the school system that has not spoken of any of this and clearly um, has decided to throw cold water on this topic by ignoring it, silencing it. The, these are strategies we're we're not uh, <laughs> we're we're not unfamiliar with when it comes to voices right. uh, being heard, right. right? So, Lisa, Malika, what do y'all think about this? Oh well, little red face emoji with expletive across the mouth. I suppose would probably be one place I would start. Um, I just think it is again, so exemplary. Is that the right word? It's an example of um, the ways in which, yeah, history is whitewashed um, and that that is considered normal. And so you add in something else to get the full picture, like you said, Shauna, and therefore it becomes biased and problematic, right? Like the status quo is by definition neutral. And any variation from that becomes unneutral. Um, it is just such a warped way of thinking about it. So I don't know. I think there was, I guess there was also some talk around that there was expletives in one of the movies he played, which he apparently tried to mute or something like that. And so, I don't know. I'm sure that was just cover for firing him because of the white privilege stuff. I don't know. Malika, you're in Tennessee. What are you, What is it indicative of the environment or is it a, a one-off? No. <laughs> Sadly, I wish I wish I could be like, oh, this is an outlier. And no, it's not really. Um, what I will say, I, I, I find it fascinating that today's conversation with you all involves three major states of my life, right? Being born in Denver, where, where Lisa is, uh, grew up in suburban Maryland, where, where, where Shauna is, and now right smack in the dab of, in Tennessee when I lived in Tennessee for 20 years. And so what I'll say about the, the, the red state that I live in um, is that the... Nashville proper, Davidson County, um, Memphis, those two cities really represent uh, where it is blue and everywhere else <laughs> is not. And so um, it can be misleading for people and it can be shocking for people. But for those of us, um, it can be downright um, disheartening on election night because you feel like all of the push and all of the strides and things that have happened at a grassroots level um, on a national or state level are not showing up. Um, so no, I'm not surprised at all that that this is the reality um, that, that's happening in Kingsport, um, which I, I saw um, the Washington Post cited as a as a rural community, um, smaller town, but not necessarily you know farm town or anything of that nature. Um, but I, I think people have a, a problem with, um, and I've seen this in this work and in this area of identifying or being honest about um, certain dynamics, right? If, if it's embarrassing or if, it, if, if I'm made to be the bad guy or enemy, it's better, it's better to just suppress it all and not hear it or deal with it as opposed to leaning into the discomfort of the reality. And the reality is that it, it is a reality for many people, you know, for, for the way that they live, for, for what. And so this educator trying to explain that so that when they get to a place where they're in college and, high, and, and in the, their career, right? Where in at the place where I'm employed a couple of years ago, when we have a whole DEI session and the term white privilege is, is positioned, that people are not just blown away and, 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 and angry because there's actually been some, some seeding deposits, some roots for these conversations and concepts. Um, and people are not open to that. And so instead of rather dealing with the awkwardness of it, um, they'd rather shut it down and silence and remove the person that and that that's to that's to send a larger message, right? That is to make him an example out of him. And so I wish I would say I wish I could say that that it's surprising and, and a one-off, um, but I think it's par for the course for what we're seeing across the country, but certainly um, unhappily representative of of, of things 
um, in the South. Mm, well, and you know, when, when I looked at multiple articles about his firing, um, in his class, he, you know, obviously used some content that I can see extremely conservative viewpoints saying, no, nah, I'm not interested in that. So anything Taknisi Coates writes, period. And he's using it in his class. Now we know that uh, Taknisi Coates is now um, one of the newest professors at uh, one of Malika's alma maters at Howard University, HU. Um, and so he's a brand new bison teaching alongside uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones on these particular topics. And he, um, uh, Mr. Hahn, the teacher, assigned this essay, The First White President, which, of course, you know, people are going to be upset about. And then, let's be clear, it's like, once again, lighting a lighting a match at a gas station because he's doing this against the backdrop of critical race theory arguments all over the country. Um, for those that are not really well-versed in critical race theory, definitely do your homework on this, but it's primarily taught in law schools, not in K-12. through this is the irony. This really made me chuckle. Um, so the teacher, Matthew Hahn, was accused of teaching critical race theory, and he said he had never heard of it. <laughs> so yeah. how can you teach it if you never heard it? So I, I appreciate his uh, uh, worldliness and understanding of how white privilege plays out in the world, but also his... Uh, uh, humility and saying, I don't know everything, but I'm going to teach what I do know. I've never heard of critical race theory, so you can't accuse me of teaching what I don't know, right? So um, I would love to get an update on uh, Mr. Hahn, and I'm hoping and praying that he is teaching somewhere else because obviously, um, you know, the, the good teachers are usually uh, challenged. <laughs> they're, they're challenged in some way, shape, or form, but um, yeah, this, this is an interesting one. Absolutely. And I, I feel like I'm, I have some, um, some long time connections to, to King Sports. I'm going to see if I can find out what the, what the, what the, what my mom would say, the scuttlebutt is on the ground. What's, what's the word on the street? Let's see if we get, get the tea, get the tea. We get into the tea and see if I can give you ladies an update in, in a little bit here. <laughs> that would be fantastic. And I think this is just such a great example of what we've talked about before on this podcast, Shauna, around the normalization of whiteness, right? And the way that history mm -hmm. is taught is one aspect of that. And I think I would encourage our listeners to think about the history of endurance sport broadly and then running, swimming, biking and other, you know, sports because they are likely whitewashed also. And mm -hmm. um, athletes of color have been systematically erased, right? And, you know, Absolutely. we start to raise that and then we become biased, I think is a really um, interesting response. It's a predictable response, but I just want to throw in here another hell nah. I know that's going to tip us into two hell nahs and one hell yeah, but Mitch McConnell, who folks probably know, um, have heard of Senate, Senate Minority Leader, um, made it was asked a question related to voting rights and what would he say to communities of color who feel like their um, voting rights are being stripped away. This happened a couple of days ago. And he responded, basically gaslighted them and said, no, that's not what's happening. Um, and that African-Americans vote at the same rate as Americans. Um, so <laughs> I'm watching the video here and the responses like eyes open wide. Yeah. And so, you know, that seems like a throwaway comment, but what it really is embedded in that, um, is that Americans are white, right. And African-Americans are not Americans because they're not white. And so he tried to exactly. make up for it and said, that's not what I meant, blah, 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 blah. But it's exactly what he meant, right? And so when we think about the conceptualization of nationality and who that refers to, you have to be critical. And so, you know, we still 
are seeing this pervasiveness and unnamed whiteness in everything we do. So it's in that teaching example, it's in this, it's in sport. Um, it's even in coaching, right, Malika? Like the way that we, some executive coaches will normalize particular behaviors and not others, so. Absolutely. Yeah. It is, uh, it is disappointing to hear right up the road in Kentucky that Mr. McConnell has. I mean, immediately when I heard that statement, I immediately felt, um, like I, like I'm not here. Like I, I, like I don't matter. Like we, we spent the beginning of our conversation um, really talking about where I was born. I was born in Denver, Colorado. Um, and that's a whole conversation for many white people within itself um, for Denver as a geographic location. Yes, black people were born in Denver. But the idea that from his statement, I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not a part. I'm not an American by your definition. And even if it was just a slip, even if it was an unconscious slip it's so telling it's you know like I'm of course it's not what you meant it's what you said so casually without even thinking about it and yep, that yep. is their danger and the greater uh injury um to to people of color you know something funny I want to add I listened to a podcast with Maria Hinojosa it's called um uh ITT Sound Off it's through her Futura Media and I guess one of their um journalists was there that day and had an hour previously had run into Mitch McConnell in a hallway and had asked him the question and he said you can ask me that at the press conference so then they're laughing like he had a whole 60 minutes to figure out what his answer was going to be for that and he still effed it up (laughs) you know yeah so he meant it he meant it he meant it meant it right Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, look, Malika, I know, um, (laughs) as you probably know, after having listened to this podcast before, we are a cussing podcast. And so we have no problem using certain words in order to express how we feel here. What made it really funny for me, Lisa, after starting to follow the Mitch McConnell story, the newest uh, trending hashtag after that is, I guess, instead of bitch, please, Mitch, please. That's the new hashtag right now. So I'm just going to stop right there. That's my new favorite podcast, my new favorite uh, hashtag, because it's clear that people know that he he knew exactly what he was saying and he believed it and he got called for it. So Mitch, please. That's where I am with all of it. Mitch, please. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women in Tri. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. <laughs>